Hello and welcome to the Michigan State University Wealth Management Association podcast. My name is Jared Ryan and I will be your host for today's episode. Join us for the second time with my friend, Justin Castelli. Justin is the founder of RLS Wealth, Pursuit, and the co-founder of the AGC. In this episode, we talk about what it means to live authentically, Justin's creative and professional endeavors, along with the value of family. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the MSU WMA podcast. Today, we have an accomplished guest who is making his second appearance. He's a genuine soul dedicated to his family, clients, and fellow advisors, somehow finding the time to be a motivational speaker and content creation legend. Ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you my friend, Justin Castelli. You're too kind. That was a great intro. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you liked it. Loved it. I loved it because you hit everything that was important to me on it. Um, and kind on the uh, content creation. Yes, I've been doing it, but I don't know about legendarily. You're getting there. You are certainly getting there with the uh, Keep Pursuing series that you're just now started. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. And then daily notes, we're going to touch on that as well. Every single facet of media and and content creation, you are absolutely killing. So I would definitely put you in the legendary category. But since we talked about it, I'd love for you to talk about your Keep Pursuing series. It's something that's pretty recent and uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Yeah, so the Keep Pursuing series was a series of five talks that I gave in the fall, and it will be coming back this spring. But the genesis of it is, or was, I I have a personal goal of doing more public speaking. I want paid public speaking to be a part of what it is I do, of, of my whole business. And, you know, getting to do keynote talks takes a while. You've got to know people. Um, and while I know people, most of the speaking engagements I get and have gotten in the financial services industry have been panels and smaller smaller opportunities, which I loved because I love being on stage. But I just decided, you know, I'm not going to wait around for opportunities to come to me. I'm going to create my own opportunities. I also am stubborn and don't want to hire a PR company to, to help me out. I'm going to see if I can do it on my own. So I just came up with this idea that I'm going to create a series of talks and I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about and see if I can get people to come to it. So a little bit of it was a, a personal challenge. Do I have a message that people care about? And then the other part of the challenge was, can I actually make this happen? So um, I reached out to a local coffee shop. It's one that I go to every week with my boys and I frequent beyond that as well and asked them if they would allow me to rent the coffee shop after hours to hold these talks. And they said, yes. And when I went to them, I didn't have the talks planned out. I just had the idea. So I went back and you know, thought about, well, what are, what are five talks I can give, subjects that I am very excited and passionate about? But also, I wanted these talks to be something to where if you were able to make it to all five, you heard one complete story, but each talk actually lived on its own. So if you could only come to one of them or two of them, it wasn't like you missed out on anything. Um, because that one talk alone, you would leave with a new idea, some things to think about, and it wasn't a waste of your time because you couldn't complete the series. And um, I was able to do it. Uh, I lucked my way into being on the local news the week before the first uh, talk, and the first talk was the one that had the most attendance. I think part of it was being on the news and the excitement of the first one. But my goal was to have no more than 25 people uh, attend, I didn't know how much room I'd have at the coffee shop. Also, Eventbrite allows you to do 25 tickets for free. And I didn't want to pay for Eventbrite. So I was like, all right, 25 tickets. But I wanted to have tickets to the to the series because I wanted, one, I wanted people to see that this is a serious um, event. I'm taking it seriously. It's not just something I'm doing for fun. But I also wanted to create a little bit of urgency that, okay, I need to grab a ticket. They were free, but I wanted to grab a ticket to make sure I don't miss out. I had no less than 13 people at any of the talks which that doesn't sound like a big success, like 25 or 13 people, but I view it as a massive success because there were anywhere between 13 to 25 people that took time out on a Wednesday evening in the winter to come listen uh, to something that I had to talk about. And the series of talks ran from, the very first one was, whose life, or are you living someone else's life? So taking some time to really reflect on the life that 
we're living, is that one that we've chosen and we would choose for ourselves, Or is it one that maybe someone else has influenced us to live and we're actually living somebody else's life? And second talk was finding your authentic life, which the concept of the authentic life is something that I'm trying to own. Like it's not a unique phrasing of words, but I want to create the authentic life to be something that means bigger, has a bigger meaning and that you associate it with me. The third talk was designing a plan for your authentic life. And you would think that that one was a financial planning conversation. There was very little talk of money in it. The fourth talk was regaining control of your mind because our mind is a very important part of us living the life that we want. I talk about the alignment of spirit, mind, and body, and I felt mind needed its own talk. And then the final talk was evolving with your authentic life. So the authentic life is not a designation or not a destination. It's something that evolves and we need to evolve along with it. So those five talks made up the Keep Pursuing series. And then my plan for it going forward is to do one talk every month beginning in the spring. And I want to move around Indianapolis and do different locations. And my goal is to make it more of an event. So this was just come listen to me talk. I want to have like a networking component, have a DJ at the very beginning, maybe do some at some art studios. So there's some art to, to view, maybe have some other people contribute some, um, you know, whether it be spoken word poetry or just contribute something to the night, do my talk, do Q and a, and then have a little light networking on the back end. So that, that way it might be a little bit more time, but it's a bigger experience. You remember it more and there's more value than just hearing me talk about these random subjects, but it was a lot of fun. So I, I thank you for, for asking. And if you have any interest in hearing the talks, they're all on my YouTube channel. Um, I set up a camera and just had it sit stationary to record the whole talk. I put it on my podcast and then I have a, a, video, a videographer I work with and she made these little short videos off of it that are really cool. We'll definitely throw that down in the description. If you are listening, please feel free to look at those five talks. Another form of media that you interact with is your daily notes. Mm -hmm. I read the one today about white men can't jump and taking your shot. You mentioned <laughs> that previously. I absolutely love that show. I haven't saw the remix or the, uh, the new one with Jack Harlow, but that's something yeah, that just, me and my just, buddies are looking at. Just skip it. I mean, I haven't seen <laughs> it, but I refuse to be, I've refused to believe that can come anywhere close <laughs> to the original. So just stick with the original. <laughs> Heard. Will do. Will do. But I'd love for you to talk about like the origin of the daily notes and mm -hmm. where do you see that going? Yeah, so the, the daily notes are, um, you know, what it sounds like. I write a, a daily note blog post. Um, I write it every morning. The genesis of it was going, goes back to two years ago. Now we went down to Marco Island for New Year's Eve. Uh, so I didn't want to be in Indiana in the cold for New Year's. We drove down and uh, I was meditating on the beach each morning, and I started to write down notes from my meditation, just observations I had. And for some reason, one afternoon, I thought, I'm going to take these notes and just put them into a blog post and put them on my personal website. So I started doing that. Uh, I think I was a little, well, I was inspired a little bit by Seth Godin. Seth Godin has a daily email that he puts out, a daily blog post. They're short um, emails. Sometimes they get long, but they're relatively short, and he's been doing it for years. And on the way down to uh, Marco Island, I listened to a couple of his interviews. I also listened to his book, The Practice. And he just talks about how like his, his only commitment with his writing is just he's going to show up every day. He's going to be there every day. Readers know that. They don't know what they're going to get, but they know that he's going to show up. So as I started to do this writing and I did it for a few days, I'm like, I'm just going to keep this going. And what I want to do with it is I want to, the only parameters around the note is I want it to be around either spirit, mind, body, money, or creativity. I don't know what it's going to be, but it just has to fit into those categories. And I just wrote my 399th daily note in a row. I've um, never been that consistent writing. And what's really cool about it is the writing process. I don't write the daily note until the morning of that daily note. Um, I don't go to bed knowing what I'm going to write. I just basically, I get up, I do my morning meditation and routine, and, and I liken it to the fact that like I'm downloading whatever the daily note's going to be. So after I get done with that, I sit down and for 399 days, something has come up for me to write about within those parameters. Sometimes there's a quote that inspires me that I'll write a little bit. Sometimes I'll just put a quote for you to think, but I really try to make those few and far in between. Cause to me, that's, well, there's value in putting a, a quote in front of you and giving you space to think about it. I also think if somebody's subscribing to a daily note, they want to, they want something more than that. So, um, yeah, it's 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 really cool. As far as what do I have planned for it, 
I don't have any plans for it. I'm just going to keep on doing it for long as so long as it brings value to others and it is helpful in, in me. What what I've learned over doing this for the last, you know, 399 days is that I'm writing those almost more for me than I am for you, Jared. Like I'm writing it for me to process ideas, get thoughts out on paper, help me better solidify this understanding of the authentic life and all these things that support it. And my hope is that through that processing, it provides value for other people, which the feedback has been that it is. So it's really cool that I'm writing for myself, sharing it publicly with no expectations and it's resonating with people. And then, you know, as a financial advisor, I hope that people who resonate with the daily notes might want to work with me in the capacity that I want to do my work going forward, which I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit. So there is a little bit of biz development that comes out of it, but that's not the intention. The intention is to write daily, process my thoughts, share with others, and then let the universe take it where it needs to go. The beautiful concept, just not pre-planning every single aspect. Us, uh, you as a financial planner, me as a future financial planner, I we tend to get in a very structured sense of, oh, we need a plan, 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 plan. But mm -hmm. what you are doing is the most genuine way that you can truly express yourself without making it seem too constrained. I'd like mm -hmm. to talk a little bit more about today's daily note. You may, you might not get another shot. I, I'd love mm -hmm. to hear maybe something that you weren't able to talk about in the note or how you truly feel about well, what does it mean to you to not maybe have a shot? Everything that I want people to do to aspire to find their authentic life is kind of falls in the line of that. You might not get another shot. So there may be things that you as the listener want to do, but you've never done. You Maybe you're afraid to, maybe you have imposter syndrome. Maybe people have told you, you can't do it. And at the end of the day, I don't want people to look back on their life, regretting that they didn't try something. So a lot of times we think, Oh, I'll do this thing when this happens, you know, um, I'll start my business when my kids are in school. I'll make this career change when I have this much money saved. And there are some things that make sense to delay for a little while. But as you get older, and a lot of people probably have already experienced this already, you know, life isn't guaranteed. And you may not get that opportunity. You may not get that opportunity because you might not be here, or you might not get that opportunity because something happens that prevents you from being able to do it. When if you would have done it back when you originally thought about it, you would have had that opportunity. And I think that this really applies to the things and the experiences in life that we really feel called to do. Like there's certain things that go push off because it's not that important to you. But if there's something that you feel deep in your heart that you are supposed to do, you feel called to do, I think you owe it to yourself to give it a try. Go experience it and see, because there's a reason that you feel called to do it. It's not coincidence that you have this deep desire to do it. There's a reason for it. And I would even go one step further in, in bigger picture. I think the world needs you to do it as well, because I believe that thing that's calling you is a part of your purpose. And you know, we were all created with certain gifts and talents that we're supposed to use. And a lot of us don't use them. And if we use our gifts that we were given uniquely, then that means we're going to bring something to the world that's supposed to be there that the rest of the world needs. You might not know what it is right now, but you just need to follow in those steps and follow those interests and follow those passions. And then eventually things will open up and it will make more sense. And you'll look back and all of the steps you took will make total sense to where it is you end up. So, you know, there's many meetings. So you might not get another shot. I mean, part of it just is no one's guaranteed tomorrow. So if there's something that you want to do, do it because there's no guarantee, but then also that there's things that, that could come up that could keep you from doing it. And, you know, you were, I think you will be much happier in life if you take that shot. And even if you happen to miss it, you're going to learn something in that quote unquote failure that will help you on your next shot versus if you never take it, you will always wonder what if. And you will also not learn what you need to learn to go forward. So an example of this is actually something that just happened today. I have no idea where this goes. I have a friend that is a uh, basketball trainer. Like he trains professional athletes who play over in Europe, trains high school kids, college kids. Phenomenal. Like next level. And he is in a position where he doesn't have his own facility. And he, he's had to bounce around and he has a home now. And he's a good friend of mine. And it's been, I've been thinking about it a lot lately, 
that I would love to, to build a facility that he could work out of, like go into business with him, build this facility um, where he could train out of my, my boys would go there and get trained. But then I also have access at any time to have a basketball court and, and be there, um, help somebody that might need a little bit of assistance to get their start and really ramp up. Um, and then also diversify the business interests that I have. So I sent him a daily, I sent him a voice note and was like, Hey man, I've been thinking about this a lot. I said, I don't know where this goes, but I know I have to explore it. So we're going to sit down. We're going to crunch numbers, put together some projections on what could he, um, what could he make? What could, what could the business make if we had other things going on? And then is it a feasible option? And if so, then take the next step and like start looking for land and things like that. So that would be, that's, that's a shot that I'm taking because I might not get that other shot. He might, you know, get the opportunity to go do it on his own. You know, something could happen to him, something happened to me, but I know that in 20 years, if I don't explore this, then I'll wonder what if, and I don't want what ifs weighing on my mind throughout life. So that's an example of, I might not get another shot. So I don't know if we actually take the shot, but I'm lining up. I'm, I'm in like position to catch the ball to shoot it in case it, it does work. And I look at it as, you know, in a situation like that, let's just say that it didn't work out. You know, there's money that's going to be invested, time, um, maybe some of that money gets lost. But, you know, worst case scenario, the building is a building. You can sell it. You can recoup some of it. Like, so you're out a little bit of money, which, you know, as especially if you're in college, that might be a hard thing to think about, like thinking about money so um, so easily. But at the end of the day, it's money. We can go make more money, but it's an experience that I want to have, and it potentially could be an awesome experience or it could potentially be a learning lesson, but I got to see it as far as I can take it. Um, and wherever that is, we'll find out soon. Truly living with no regrets is, it has to be the ultimate goal of our life. And you're taking it shots metaphorically and actually keeping the basketball theme. You actually played basketball in college and we're thinking about law school. How did you find your way into financial planning? Yeah, it's a, it's a fun story. I want to go back on one thing just real quick, and then I'll come back to college and everything yeah. on the regrets thing. Um, as much as I try to live with no regrets, I love that meme, the no regrets where the guy gets a tattoo mm -hmm. spelled wrong. That's great. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think it's, I don't think we can live life without any regrets. What I think is a good goal and what I'm striving to do is to minimize the regrets and make sure that the regrets that I might have I know why I didn't do it because in my mind, it's easier for me to look back on life and be like, okay, I regret not doing this, but in the moment, these are the reasons I didn't do it. I at least explored it. So in the basketball scenario, maybe it's just, you know, financially, it doesn't make sense today. And then in 20 years, I might look back and say, man, I could have afforded to do it knowing what I know 20 years later, but I'll be able to look back and say, Hey, we ran all of the projections. We ran the numbers. We talked to investors and it just didn't make sense my regret will be less. So I would just say as somebody listening, you know, I don't think it's possible to have no regrets. I think you minimize your regrets, you prioritize the regrets and try to make the ones that would be the biggest ones that would eat at you the most. Try to make sure those don't happen, but you're always going to have something you wish you would have done differently. So I just wanted to throw that in there because I don't want to, I don't want to come across as this person who just talks in these big, big ideas that are like, so yeah, that'd be awesome. And like, that's not realistic though. Like there's realistic ways to approach this to where you can live with very few regrets and they'd be the ones that you were okay having. All right. So back to college, I went to um, the Franklin college, which is a, a small division three school, South of Indianapolis, played basketball for four years. I majored in econ, minored in political science, thought I was going to go to law school. Whose life was I living? You know, looking back, that influence came from my dad and my uncle, which wasn't a bad influence. Uh, but ultimately, you know, did, I decided it was not the right life for me because I met my wife. So going into my senior year, I meet Ange, you know, we're dating. And I just realized that this was a special relationship. I didn't want to delay three more years to go to law school. So then I graduated, you know, not knowing what I was going to do. Um, she had to finish up. She went to IU. So she had to finish up that summer. So I lived down in Bloomington with her, but would come back home. And I just networked that summer. Very fortunate to be in that position to where I could take a summer off, but um, met with different business people and met with a few financial advisors and was interested in the idea of helping people solve problems, having control over my schedule, having control over my destiny. I really liked that. 
So um, I, this will date me. I went around to a bunch of offices around town with a paper resume and just dropped them off at the receptionist. Uh, Cause I don't even think monster.com was around back then. So old school paper app, uh, resumes dropped them off. And that is how I got into the financial services. And I look back and, you know, I had one finance class, Franklin College is a liberal arts school. So even majoring in econ, I had one finance class. I got a C in it because I had no interest. I didn't apply myself. It was the class I took in the summer. So it was just like do enough to get by and I didn't really care. It's So it's funny, I landed up in finance and now, you know, I love it. So um, that's how I got into finance. The short store version of my story in finance bounced around at different um, uh, companies, was at an insurance-based firm went to a bank, spent a good amount of my career at a 403B company, which is really where I fell in love with the, the profession. That's when I really turned into a financial advisor. And that's where I started to build what became my, my own business. Um, left the 403B company, was originally planning on starting my company, went to work at a, a firm in town as a potential succession plan. That didn't work out. And then that's when I started RLS Wealth in 2015. Um, so I shared that story I don't know if you wanted me to go to those details or not, but I just shared them thinking about the probably the majority of the audience of this show or college students in finance are considering it to just let you know that, you know, finance is a unique profession, financial advising that should, I should say, because there's no one right path. There's no like one designation. And a lot of us in the profession bounce around and you bounce around until you find the right place for yourself. Could be your own firm, could be a specific firm. But the thing is, there's so many different ways to be a financial advisor. There's different ways to charge, different ways to do planning. You can be investment focused. You could be tax focused. There's all these different ways. And it's it, it's silly to think that you're going to graduate from Michigan State or whatever school you're at and knowing exactly where you're supposed to be. So go get into the profession, find a good opportunity, especially one that's going to have good training. Um, and then as you begin to you know identify what you like about the profession and what your strengths are, I think culture is really, really important. So then begin to find somewhere that's going to allow you to be your authentic self as an advisor, mustache and all. And then also where you're going to enjoy working with the people and their views on planning, their views on money align with you. Um, there's far more options today coming into the profession than there were when I came in. Because you look at the RIA space and that's the fastest growing area in the profession. There's a lot of RIAs that are growing fast that are going to need more great advisors and you can figure out, oh, I want to work with these types of people. And so I think if you can find great culture right out the gate, that would be ideal. But I think training and experience is the most important thing early on. And then you can start to try to find that balance of who you are in the workplace and in your personal life and finding that balance between work life and all that type of stuff. But I think what most people need right out the gate is good training, um, good mentorship and good experience, which I didn't have. Like I had to basically teach myself to be a financial advisor. Even when I was at the 403B company, the training we got was sales training. It wasn't financial planning training. Thankfully, they had a financial planning software that I could use and figure things out. And I discovered Twitter and built and you know found this network of financial advisors. But I would tell I would encourage you to find good experience, good training, good mentorship. And then once you get some time in, you'll have a better idea of where it is you want to be, what type of advisor you want to be. I love what you just said. And one of the key words that came through was network. I believe we all rise with the tide, especially with the within the financial advisory community. It's why you co-founded the AGC. I'd love to hear about what this community is and how our listeners can join. Yeah. So the AGC is an online community. It's private for financial advisors. The only requirement is that you are a financial advisor. So um, we've never had a conversation about how could we get some college students in to give them? We've done some mentorship program type stuff. We did that with Michigan State for a few years, um, did kind of mentorship pairing. But the community is a community only for financial advisors. Uh, we have about 165, maybe 170 members across the globe. We've got members in UK, India, Canada, and then obviously the states. And the whole premise behind it is what you mentioned. A rising tide lifts all boats. We're better together. And while we might just be technically competitors because we're both financial advisors, you know, there's more than enough people to serve, plenty of people who need financial planning. And we all have our different strengths and approaches that we do things. So rather than compete with each other, why don't we share notes? Why don't we help each other out so that we can be better financial advisors for our clients? 
Um, because if people are having better experiences with other financial advisors, that makes people trust the profession more, which lifts all the, you know, lifts all the boats. Um, and then the, the community is also focused on how can we not only grow professionally, but personally as well? How can we be better spouses, better parents, better friends? Uh, because, you know, it's not all about work. So we want to make sure there's a good balance between growing professionally and, and personally. We have, um, you know, guest speakers come in. We have mastermind groups. We do a book club. We've got some like um, health focused groups inside of there. We do an annual in-person meeting at one of the conferences, Future Proof, which if you were going to go to any conference uh, to check it out, I would definitely do Future Proof. It's in September. It's in Huntington Beach. It's outside right on the beach. Um, it's a great event with a lot of valuable sessions and people. And, you know, speaking of networking, building your network is really, really important. Um, the way the AGC was was born was my co-founder and I, Taylor Schulte, we had tons of conversations with advisors just talking shop. What we're doing with our businesses, what we're doing from branding and marketing standpoint. And we just realized, hey, it would be great if we could do more of this with people and let other people connect. Let's start a community. Um, so networking with peers in the profession has been very, very valuable to me from a personal growth standpoint, but also just from friendships. Like my closest friends in life are other financial advisors that live in other states that I met on social media. Um, so that's, that's what the AGC is. Um, it's really, really cool. I'm really proud of it. We actually merged it in with a company called Wealth Tender last fall. So Wealth Tender is a, a organization that helps consumers find financial advisors. So financial advisors can sign up with Wealth Tender. They get a page that is very high on SEO, uh, SEO ranking, and it's a better way for people to find their client, for people to find them. And then clients can go, potential clients can go in and search for advisors. So it's a really cool um, opportunity to bring two great businesses together, this business to help advisors get found, and then this community for those advisors to get better together. It's an amazing community, and I've only heard great things from the individuals within it and yourself. I hope to go to Future Proof. I, Professor Schiesel, if you're watching this, please send me to Future Proof. I've been on a couple <laughs> conferences, and I absolutely love them. Networking with individuals who are who are much more senior C-suite executives, different RIAs, you get a different sense of what the industry is and how you play into it. And I, I love learning about all these different opportunities and improving yourself professionally and personally, which brings me to my next point. We haven't talked about this yet. Your firm, RLS Wealth, is infamously named after your three sons, Roman, Leo, and Silas. Could you speak a little bit more about family and what it means to you? Yeah. Um, your know, family is, it has become one B one A is myself, which sounds bad, but as you get older, you will realize that you have to take care of yourself and you can't be the best version of you for your family. If you're not in your best shape. So family is right there with me, but it, it's, it's everything. And it's funny when I started my firm, I had everything planned and knew what I was going to do except for the name. That was the hardest thing. And then I just said, at the time, we just had Roman and Leo. I'm just going to name it RO after Roman and Leo. And I was like, it could be retirement and life. Like I could create another name for it, but I'll just name it after them. And then when we had Silas, I rebranded. And, you know, RLS Wealth means nothing to the outside world, but I have a lot of pride in the fact that it's named after the boys. They know it's named after them, um, but they are, you know, everything to me. Um, so, and that includes my, my wife as well. She, you know, I'm not going to name the her or the company, but- you know, it's most important. And I've been fortunate to be able to build my career to be very present with my family. So I don't miss basketball games. I don't miss soccer matches. I don't miss performances. Um, you know, I've been able, and that's one of the great things about the profession, especially when you get more seasoned and you have more autonomy is you can build your life around the needs of your clients. And what you'll learn is clients don't care if you're in the office at four in the afternoon what they care about is their, their money's in good shape. And when they need you, you're there. So go be with your family at four o'clock watching after school sports, as long as you're taking care of me. And, and that's what I've been able to do. So um, I don't know if I'd be able to be as present if I was in another profession. So um, for me, it's very important. They, they come first above everything else. Clients come right after that. Um, and I've always been transparent. And I think that has been a draw for some of my clients. I have one of my larger clients who found me because of my my content and they said in our first meeting 
one of the reasons we reached out to you was you had a picture of your family on your website. And to me, that's just natural. Like if you look at my content, my family shows up a lot. And I don't know why I'm so comfortable sharing my life and sharing my family like that. But I do like, like when I go back through my social media feeds and I see all that, it makes me feel good. And for some reason it makes other people feel good as well, which makes it even easier to share. But um, yeah, that's to me is a no brainer um, to name the company after the voice. Connection with family is your authentic self. We've mentioned this word a couple of times. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear what it means to you. Yeah, so the authentic self, I believe we all were created. I mentioned earlier with a, with a purpose. I was put on this earth for a reason. And I think it is my responsibility to find out what that reason is and then walk in that version of myself. And I just, I didn't always have this concept. I mean, I think I've, I think I've lived pretty authentically my whole life, even though I didn't necessarily know it. Um, I, you know, when I started my firm, I wasn't talking about authentic living, but I quit wearing suits. You can see the backdrop in my office. This is not a normal financial advisor backdrop. There's art, there's, you know, rap albums, there's all this stuff in here that would not be a normal financial advisor office, but it's me. And when you walk in here, you know, it's me. Um, so I've always been that way, but um, the authentic life really became a concept that I became obsessed with when I kind of went through, I mean, it almost looks like a midlife crisis, but it really wasn't. There was no crisis in it. I have been somebody who historically in my career has done different things. You know, I have my company, I have the community, I worked at a startup as well. I did all these things on top of creating content. And I basically was doing too much and realized it and stepped back from one of those, the startup. And when I stepped back from the startup, I realized the ideal day that I had written out for a mentor, I could live. And when I slowed down the amount of work that I was doing and focused on the things that matter most, I began to get back to taking care of me and my body. Um, I started, you know, meditation practice actually took and I was meditating regularly um, and I was always been pretty in control of my mind and optimistic. But when I brought those things into alignment with each other and that alignment is something I can't tell you what it is. That's a feeling, you know, you know, when you are like, if we go to the white man can't jump, jump, if you've seen the movie, they talk about being in the zone. Like when you're in the zone or you're in a state of flow, you have alignment. And I was able to find alignment all of the time. And it was because I found out and I had my you know, spiritual connection. That was the way I want to practice it. My mind was in good shape. My body was in good shape. And I was, everything was in alignment. And that is when I realized what my purpose was, was to help more people do that. And that is a version of my authentic life. So it was kind of a, I mentioned, I look back over time and it makes absolute sense where I am here today and why I talk about the authentic life. So my goal is to help more people realize they have a, a, a purpose. They have something that they should be doing and they can make that the reality. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen with hard work and you have to do some planning, but it's possible. And I want more people to bet on themselves what that looks like. You know, sometimes it may come across always that it means entrepreneurship and starting businesses. Like that's one way to bet on yourself. But another way to bet on yourself is to leave a career path you don't feel excited about to go to another one. Like it doesn't have to be starting a business. I just want people to find the true version of themselves and let that version live because I think they will be happier. I think they'll be more productive. I think they'll be more successful in however they define success. And again, I think they will be bringing the gifts to the world that they're supposed to. So that's what the authentic life is about. I want to help people do that. And then the way I plan on doing that is I've revamped the way I'm working with clients going forward through RLS Wealth. Uh, there is a practice within the financial uh, planning community called life planning. Uh, George Kinder is the founder of it. Go look George up. Another friend of mine, Scott Frank, is really big in life planning as well. I don't know if you guys have ever had him on the podcast, but he'd be a good guest. Um, so life planning is all I'm going to do going forward. And life planning is more about helping you find the answers for yourself to the life that you want to live. Um, where I think when people think of a financial advisor, they expect the advisor to give them the answers to their problems. Here's how much you need to save. Here's how much you need to invest. Here's how your tax, like we have all the answers and there's a need for those things, but I don't think those answers matter as much if the, what they're leading to is not what you want in your life. So I would rather start with, let's figure out who you are, Jared, who you truly are. And what's the life that you want to live? What does that look like? 
okay, now that we have that vision and it's a vision that you want so bad, you're going to do what you need to do. Now let's go build the plan to that. And for me, what's exciting is life planning presents the opportunity for the advisor to be creative. And I'm extremely creative. And what I mean by that is the answers for a life plan may not be what you studied in class this year. It may not be the textbook answer. It may not be to max out your 401k because that's what we're supposed to do. Because your goal might be you want to do something in the middle of your career and you need access to money not tied up until 59 and a half. So yes, maxing out your 401k, the tax deferral, all those benefits are great, but that may not be the right answer to your plan. So I am building a plan to your life. I'm not building the plan to the CFP curriculum or, or what a finance book may say. And to me, I don't like being told what to do. I like having that ability to be more creative. Again, knowing that it's the right move for that client. Um, so that is what I'm, how I've done things to help more people find their authentic life. I want to help you find the authentic life. And then I want to help you plan to get there and then adapt that plan as your um, authentic life evolves. Cause I told you it's not a destination. As you experience more things authentically, you're going to be exposed to new things that you're going to want to do and, and things will change. So um, it's, Still incorporating traditional planning, but it is much heavier on helping people find out who they are and then what's the life they want and then planning to that. For our listeners, how do they find the true version of themselves? You spoke about meditation alignment. What would be like a three-step three, three step guide, multiple-step guide? How do they find their true self? I'm going to be honest with you, Jared. I am working on finding the like the process. Um, because right now it is, in my mind, it's very individualized. Um, so when I talk about, I, I do think aligning your spirit, mind, and your body is an important part of one way to, to find your authentic life. I don't think there is only one way for everybody. There's a way that worked for me that will probably work for others. Um, but I don't think it matters what your spiritual practice is. I don't think it matters what your mindfulness practice is. And I don't think it matters how you take care of your body. I just think it matters that you are doing those things in the way that is authentic to you. Um, so yes, I meditate, but that may not be right for everybody. Um, I do yoga. I do weight training. You might want to run. Perfect. As long as you're taking care of your body and your body is in alignment with your mind because they're all connected. So the reason I, I'm so such a believer in spirit, mind, and body is I think our spiritual self is connected to whoever or whatever created you. Again, I don't think it, I don't believe it matters. You just need to believe that or you probably have a belief that somebody or something created you. You're a part of a bigger thing and you were created and your heart, I believe is your connection to that world, which is why we have passions and things that we love. That's being spoken to us from our creator. So you receive this message and you know what your passions are. You know, the direction you want to go. You're connected spiritually to your creator. Your mind has to believe that that version of you can actually exist because if, if I believe that I'm supposed to be this person that helps people in their authentic life and creates content and speaks around the world to do this, if that's what I am told I'm supposed to do, but my mind is telling me, who are you? You can't do that. Then it's never going to happen because your mind is the barrier between what you, what you feel becoming reality because your mind can prevent you from doing it. And there's, you know, there's science that actually supports a lot of this, but to keep it short, your mind has to be in alignment with what you're being called to do so that it can actually happen. And then finally, your body needs to be able to execute. You know, we only get one body. And while we can't control everything that happens to, happens to us in health, like there's, you could be the cleanest eater, work out every day, do everything right, and you can still get sick. But we can minimize the probability of that happening by taking care of ourselves. And the body part of it is important for two reasons. One, being able to execute, being in good enough shape to do what you want to do, have the energy to do the things you need to do. But then also, if your body's not in good shape, then you're going to start to pull on your mind and pull it out of alignment because I don't feel good. This hurts. You know, I can't do these things because my body's not good. And it pulls out the alignment. So that's why I talk about those things being important. So a very, very long-winded answer. I apologize. But I think the beginning of finding your authentic life is finding that alignment. And then the rest of it is you have to look internal and, and be honest with yourself. You know, what are the things that you enjoy the most? And just start kind of experimenting and exploring and just being open-minded. Um, I think that is a good way to get going. At the end of the day, 
I believe all of the answers to what's my authentic life, what's my purpose, who am I, all of those answers reside within you. They're just buried. They're buried under you know what what parents have told us and teachers have told us, what society tells us, um, and then you know maybe you have trauma that you grew up with in your life and that buries it even further. It's in there. It's finding a way to tap into that and then having the confidence to believe it. And when you have alignment, you are able to kind of lean into your intuition and feel things a lot more. And even when you're out of alignment, you have those moments of intuition, like, you know, you should do this or you shouldn't. And if you think about those experiences you've had, the times that your body, the times that your intuition has told you to do something and you did it, it rarely works out to the negative. And the times that your intuition tells you to do it and you don't do it, you probably regret that you didn't do it. So it's just trusting that. And that goes against so much of what we're told in society, because a lot of times your intuition is going to tell you to do something that others are telling you not. And, and sometimes they're telling you you're not because they care for you and they don't want to see you get hurt and they don't have the confidence to do it. And other times people are telling you not to do it because they're jealous. They can't do it because they have their own barriers. So it's, it's, it's developing that connection with yourself and the confidence to trust that you know what's best for you um, is another big part of it. You know, what's best for you, I want to talk about your future. I want to talk about your future goals. What, what is new? What's going to be happening in the near future that you can speak about? Yeah, man, I'm thinking back to the last time I was on, a lot has changed. I can't remember how, how long ago it was, but authentic life and life planning was not a part of it. Um, so my future and where I'm going is actually, this is going to sound crazy. I'm going to get woo-woo on you for a second. Um, I, I'm already like there. Internally, I am already this version of myself. I embody it. I, I, I feel it already. And there's like a lag in the physical world. So where I'm going and where you all see me heading is still being an advisor. I've moved away from calling myself a financial advisor and I'm focusing on calling myself a life planner because that's what I want to do going forward. All of my existing clients, I still work with in the way we always have because that's why they came to me. And I don't want to, I don't want to sever those relationships, but for all intents and purposes going forward, I'm a life planner who happens to be a financial advisor that can talk numbers. So I will be helping people find and live their authentic life through the relationships of RLS Wealth, one of which is just a life planning. Another one is life planning plus coaching. Um, so I have life design, which is the life planning and life design plus, which is ongoing coaching to, to go forward and make sure everything happens and being a resource to help people go. So that's part of what I'll be doing. And then a big part of it is just trying to inspire and help people who can't necessarily work with me one-on-one -on -one to find and live their authentic life. So that's the podcast. I have a weekly podcast episode, continuing the daily notes for as long as the universe wants to use me as a communicator. Um, you know, I'll probably write books, um, public speaking, more keep pursuing series, but everything around this concept of the authentic life. So hopefully in two or three years, if someone happens to mention authentic and life in the same sentence, even with words in between, like my face pops up in your head. Um, and I don't, I don't want to be that the guy known for that because I want to be known for that. I truly believe in the power of it. And it's something that has been so life-changing for me. And I know what it's done for me that I want more people to experience that as well. So I look at that as that's, that's my purpose is to either plant the seeds to get people going in that direction, help them in the middle or help them one-on-one, -on -one, but help people find and live their authentic life. And I've set out a goal that I probably won't use as a marketing thing, but I have a goal of changing 1000 lives through life planning. Um, and that's that's one-on-one -on -one life planning. So through Arlos Wealth. And I give myself a little bit of room for wiggle that a life, um, so a family could be four or five lives. You know, if I if I work with a, a couple and it changes their family's life, that's four or five lives. But even if you do the math on that, at a, a rate that I could reasonably do on an annual basis, that's like 20 years of life planning. And I'm just getting ready to complete my 20th year in the profession. So I'm at my midpoint. Another uh, 20 years of, helping people find and live their authentic life and changing lives through life planning is, is part of what it is. And I hope that I change millions of lives when you bring in the content as well. But that's that's the goal. Um, and while doing all of that, continuing to be a present dad and um, a good husband and, and good friend and mentor to advisors, so just basically continuing to do what I've always done, but the focus 
professionally and the topic is the authentic life, helping people find and live that. I'm certain you're going to hit that 1,000 individuals, families through life planning. You were already killing it. Millions are on the way. I have no doubt through content creation and other avenues like this. You might be the best individual to answer this question as a life planner. Mm -hmm. What advice would you offer to current students wanting to become a financial advisor like yourself? I would I would encourage all students, and maybe even if you're any already in the profession, to overweight the human side of finance. Um, not that the technical skills aren't important because they are. It's I mean. It's great to do the life plan, but if you blow up the numbers, that's not a good thing either. So you have to know the number side. But I think that in going forward in the future, I think more people are going to be looking for advisors that are going to help them live their life. Like I'm already seeing it with younger clients, like younger people really want to kind of control their destiny and do things their way. And being a planner who's not going to shoot their idea down is going to be a differentiator for the most part. And then if you have the technical skills, which you'll get through schooling and licensing and everything to execute upon it, that'll be good. I also think that, you know, there's a always talk about technology replacing financial advisors. You know, 10 years ago is robo advisors are going to put advisors out of business and they didn't. And now it's AI. Um, but I do think that AI is going to make the technical skills that we have less valuable, meaning you can go get somebody, you can go get a software to, to optimize your taxes. You can go get somebody to, or technology to optimize your portfolio and probably do a better job than a human can and do it faster and cheaper. So while we'll all, the people will always want a human to work with, there's also going to be competitive options out there. But I don't believe technology will ever replace the ability for me to sit across from you and look you in the eyes and listen to you, Jared, and then be able to really say, okay, Jared said there was no more, but I can tell he's not telling me the truth. Let me ask him one more time if there's anything else. And let me give him space to really get that out there and pull that part of him out that he wanted to keep hidden so we can really address that in his planning. I don't, I mean, maybe I'm naive, but I don't think technology takes that away from human. So I think focusing on the human side, whether that is you do life planning or you just become a really good listener and you really get good at helping people on the human side and then leverage the technology. I think the ideal practice in the future is I'm doing very little technical stuff. AI is doing all for me. I look over it, make sure it's what it needs to be. There's no errors in the data entry and that it's running projections better than I could and saving me time. So I spend all of my time with those deep questions and being there to help clients. Um, so I think that the, the practice of the future is more the advisors doing all human stuff and all of the technical stuff gets done by technology. We can already see this shift from AI and technical. Their computer science used to be a very sought off major. And now AI is already coding and coding code that they used to enact themselves. So it's becoming a more and more dominating factor in the technical space of finance. What parting advice would you like to leave our listeners with? I would, the first part's not advice, uh, just encouragement that if you're in the, the finance department and thinking about becoming a financial advisor or working anywhere in the financial planning space, maybe you want to be a pair planner, maybe you want to do HR or uh, communications or marketing, working within finance, I genuinely believe we have one of the best professions and careers out there. Now, there are a lot of bad actors that make it where people don't necessarily want to trust it. But if you think about what it is we get to do as advisors, sitting down with people and helping them, you know, if you're doing it my way, figure out who they really are and live a life that they didn't even know was possible. Like you're changing their life and hopefully helping them live a better life than they ever imagined was possible. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with that, but there's very few jobs out there where you impact someone's life the way we impact them. And as an advisor, there's a lot of highs and lows. Like we get to see grandchildren and weddings and graduations, but we're also there when people go into nursing homes. We're also the second or third phone call when clients pass away. Uh, but that shows you the weight of the relationship and how important it is. You know, maybe a therapist, maybe a doctor, maybe an attorney will know their clients as well 
as we do, but a lot of those have a lot of people. So the, like, it's more surface level where, you know, most advisors are working with a number that they know everybody personally and get to know them. So the beginning of it is, this is a great profession. If you want to make an impact on someone's life and you want to be able to build a great career for yourself and have control and autonomy and flexibility, like, I don't know if anything out there is better. And then the final piece would be to follow your interests, follow your passions, follow your intuition. Um, you might be in the finance department and you think it's a great career and it's lucrative and you can do well, but if your heart's telling you to go somewhere else, I'm not saying leave finance. I'm saying go, ex go experience that a little bit. Um, and, and one of the things I always try to tell people is when you're starting to explore interests and passions that aren't what you're doing now, you don't have to like go all in on it. Um, so, you know, the example I give is my videographer is a social worker. She wants to be a photographer and videographer. So she works her full-time job, but then she also does photography and videography on the side. And that's her way of seeing, does, you know, does this need to be a bigger part of her life? And can she make it into a business? And then eventually she might make that leap. But I just think you should, you owe it to yourself to explore the things you have passions and interests for and let them determine how much of a part of your life they need to be. Maybe it becomes your career, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe your career is the means to be able to do the passion in a significant way, and that's okay as well. Um, and then the final thing I'll end with is you're going to listen to a lot of people like myself who have experiences and are very convicted in what their experiences mean to them, you know, spirit, mind, body, and all the stuff I just told you about. I don't know anything. I just know what worked for me. And, I, and I've looked at other people and I've pulled to create my own experience. I share that with you is you don't, don't take what you hear on podcasts and videos as the truth. It was one person's truth. And there might be nuggets in that truth that will work for you, but there's only one truth for you and no one else knows what it is. So definitely listen and study and learn what other people have done emulate people that you want to be like, but then create your own truth. Don't live by someone else's because living by someone else's truth is going to leave you, lead you away from your authentic life. Um, so that would be the other thing is because, you know, I listen to podcasts and like, sometimes I want to go do exactly what they said. And I'm like, well, that's, that may not work for me. Maybe there are components of it that I can do, but I don't need to do all of it. I'll just steal from everybody and then create this blend that is true to me. I completely agree. Justin, I could talk to you all day, man. Thank you for coming on the MSU Domain Podcast once again. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed the discussion, please like and share the podcast on Apple and Spotify. The Spartan Journal Podcast is part of Michigan State University's Wealth Management Association, a student organization whose goal is to inspire the next generation of financial advisors. The Spartan Journal News Team releases a newsletter every Monday morning comprised of financial literacy, and the week's market updates. Feel free to follow us on social media at MSUWMA and check out our website at MSUWMA.com. Anything heard on either the MSUWMA or Spartan Journal podcasts is for educational purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice.